This podcast, Cutting Room Convos, may not be suitable for younger listeners. In addition to a language advisory, this episode brings up sex and conversations of violence. Listener discretion is advised. You made it out alive! Welcome to the first episode of Cutting Room Combos. I'm Yasmin and I live for the scare. I'm Jenny and I'm scared to death. Awesome. I noticed the shirt you're wearing there. What is it? Heck yeah, Freddy Krueger, my man. <laughs> you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, gotta represent. It's a good shirt. Hell yeah. I could wear it for three days straight. I wish I had more shirts like that. Oh yes, you gotta get some. Please. I'd be too scared to look at them, honestly. I swear to God. Okay, you gotta... Wear at least the one face that we saw in the movie this week. What movie did we see this week? We saw the 1996 film Scream, directed by Wes Craven. Yes. And this happens to be the first horror movie that I ever saw since I was a kid. So this uh, movie affects me so. Um, In case you need a summary, uh, this stars the uh, lovely Sidney Prescott, Mm -hmm. who is harassed by the ghost face killer. And in this first movie, we assume it to be one killer. Should I say any spoilers at this point? Yeah, give us a rundown. What what basically happens, I guess. There were two killers Whoa. in the other movie. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yes, and then they, they uh, apparently like killed Sydney's mother uh, previously, which was never like actually in the film. But um, then uh, one of the killers was actually Sydney's boyfriend. Dun, dun, dun. And uh, wanted to harass her more by actually dating her, and um, that's yeah. messed up. Oh yes, absolutely. It's very manipulative, and I do not support it whatsoever. So, what were your thoughts on the movie before this? Because I, I know I tried getting you to watch this movie, Jenny. Yeah, you mentioned this movie a lot when we, when you got me into horror movies. You always said that I needed to watch the Scream series. <laughs> Maybe not all the movies in the Scream series. But I had to get them done. And I think it's because this movie has a really big cult following. You know what I mean? Oh, yes. Like, if you like this movie, you have all these theories and all these ideas. It's a good movie to start a conversation. Absolutely. How about you? When you first saw this, you said it was your first scary movie. What did you think? Well, I was seven years old. Oh. And uh, it was very, (laughs) very chilling. I, I was just scared of what the killer was going to look like before I saw its face just pop up at the screen. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, I've, I've grown to really like it now, so it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I've seen lots <laughs> of, when I was younger, I would see ghost face masks everywhere. <laughs> Fun fact that I found when looking up this movie's uh, year and director was mm. that Marianne Madalena, who was the costume designer, actually stumbled on the ghost face mask, which was already a circulating Halloween costume. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, it was actually based off of the painting by Edward Munch. The screen painting with the melting clocks and the long face. The guy who looks like it's the end of the world. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I should have figured that. Okay, yeah, I see the similarity. That's awesome. Okay, so what I was saying before was that one of the killers was Sidney Prescott's boyfriend at the time, Mm -hmm. uh, Billy Loomis. And his partner in crime was uh, Stu Mocker. I you think mean, that's... you mean Shaggy? Shaggy from Scooby Doo. Yes, <laughs> that that was exactly him. Um, and uh, they worked together throughout the entire movie. Now, clearly, there was only one killer shown in each kill scene. Super misleading. Yeah, 
And at the same time, you would also, you know, hear a phone call, you know, before the killer ever actually showed up. Yeah. So I always thought, okay, one of them was making the calls and one of them was making the kills or at least the harassing whenever Sydney was around. So I like to think of who was killing who, basically, and their motives for each kill. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first kill, technically, in the movie, after uh, Sydney's mother, was, um, well, the first two kills, was a couple, uh, Steve Orth, Stephen Orth, and um, what, what was her name? The one that has... Her uh, boyfriend's a football player. Yeah. Uh, Casey Becker. <laughs> they were the first two kills in the movie. Now, I remember that Sydney had mentioned later on, uh, after that scene, asking Stu if uh, she Didn't had... did you date her? Yes. I remember. Now, he said, yeah, for two seconds. Then Randy popped in, oh, before she dumped him for, for Steve. Steve. So, the way that... Uh, Stu shows his, like, you know, kind of cocky facade at first. Like, you kind of think, okay, you know, he, he, he needs to have, like, this particular woman in his life. And if she don't want him and leaves him for somebody else, he can't accept that. There's something wrong there. Yes. So, and, you know, Randy was on point at, at uh, that stage in, um, in the movie. And then later on, Stu is just like, no, I didn't kill anybody. And then Billy says... Well, nobody said you did and mm. kind of raised his eyebrows, kind of hinting like, hey, you know, you're supposed to shut up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's the vibe that I got that made me think, OK, Stu is the one who killed Steve and uh, Casey out of jealousy, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. And in the meantime, uh, Billy was the one who was making the calls harassing Casey beforehand. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Do you think it could yeah. be vice versa? Honestly, I never made that connection. I've no. seen this movie probably two or three times now. Mm-hmm. And I never made the connection when they were talking about how he used to date her. Yeah. How? <laughs> it's literally such a big part of the movie. Oh, yeah. The for reason real. that they died. For me, it was just like a random couple kill until you literally made that connection. Yes. Seriously. <laughs> Now, here's another thing. That is uh, Stu's motive. Because then I thought, okay, Billy has nothing to do personally with Casey or Steve. Now, his overall motive with Sydney was that he wanted revenge on her, right? But he, I guess, wanted to kind of spark a sort of scare around the town beforehand. And I think after Billy and Stu worked together and got their first... their first taste of their first kill, mm-hmm. they thought they couldn't get enough of it. And I guess Stu sort of fit the bill and was kind of the, um, uh, I guess in the end, the uh, fallout guy. Yeah. The fall guy? Is that the way you say the it? The fall guy. Fall guy. The scapegoat. Yeah. Because in the end, like, Stu just was just killing for fun after Casey and Steve, I think, or- at that point. I have a theory. <laughs> what is it? Bouncing off of that, now that I know that Stu was the one that made those first two kills at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. with the burnt popcorn, sadly. God, I hate that. <laughs> I can imagine the smell when I saw the scene. Like, it could have oh. initially, theory here, not saying this is true, not saying this is canon in any way, uh. but what if it was Stu's idea to start killing, but because Billy knew, Billy threatened 
to tell people about Stu, which is why he worked for Billy at the end. Because the, oh. the whole motive ends up being like Billy trying to get revenge for his mom. <laughs> revenge for his mom. Yeah. Uh, mama's boy. Yeah, pretty much. I, you know, I, I never really thought about if um, Stu had a, a larger role in, uh, in killing throughout the movies. I, I just thought he was just rather secondary or just, just simply crazy, you know, borderline mm -hmm. psychotic. Uh, he, he calls himself psychotic in the yep. end of the movie. <laughs> it fits. He fit the bill. He really did. But uh, that is definitely something to think about, especially after just the first two kills. Um, now, I just want to think about shortly after that, Sydney is harassed in her own home when she is home alone. Um, now, if we didn't know who the killers were, there were a number of possibilities that came up after yeah. that harassment happened. Mm -hmm. Billy came in through the window, dropped the phone. Sydney leaves, go, runs downstairs. Uh, Deputy Dewey is holding the mask. He, he acts all scared, yeah. but he's caught with the mask and he just says quickly, I found this. You know, yeah. for all we know, he could have been guilty of chasing her around the yeah, house. putting on a facade. Was that the first time we see Deputy Dewey in the movie? No, we met him before. Uh, oh my God, I cannot remember for the life of me. Uh, no, he had a very, um, short, um, like, little scene when they were interviewing the kids after Casey's murder. Okay. It was, like, during the day, during mm -hmm. class. Um, but he had, like, one line. So they, uh, get more of him in that scene. But then afterward, Dewey's sister, uh, Tatum, uh, Sydney's best friend mm -hmm. also, comes in late. She happens to come in late yeah. to pick her up when she was supposed to arrive at 7. So there's another possibility there. You know, come in late. Hey, what did I miss? Oh, yeah. my God. You know? Including so. the fact that she was at the video store where Randy oh. could have been, right? Randy's the one who works there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we could suspect him, too, because in the beginning, she says, Randy, is this you? Doesn't Th she? That's true. That that could have been Randy as at least the caller, if not the killer. Mm -hmm. He could have been harassing her for all we know. Um, and then another little possibility would have been Gail Weathers because she was like the last to arrive at the scene with her cameraman. Yeah. So, I mean, there is a bit of an alibi there for you. Yeah. She always has lots of motive too, though. If we're talking about Gail Weathers now, if we... Oh, if we yeah. Definitely. Because she... She lives for the publicity. This is her job. Her job is to make stories. Yeah. So suspecting her was one of my first things because she wants a story. She wants, you know, to make it big. Yeah. How else to do that besides to give a big story? Cause a story in order to tell it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. But yeah, knowing, but then knowing that um, Billy and Stu were the killers, um, I, well, I think it's safe to say that... Billy indeed was the caller uh, who was um, calling Sydney while Stu was running around in the costume uh, trying to uh, get into her room or whatever. Yeah. Um, because then he disappeared so quick from the bedroom door and then all of a sudden Billy appears, boom, like at the bedroom window. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's safe to say. And then um, later on when he's arrested, and go spends the night in jail, uh, and Sydney gets another phone call. Obviously, that well, actually, I'm thinking obviously that it would have to have been from Stu, uh, just because Billy would have an al alibi by then. But 
I remember in the end of that movie, Sydney actually asked Billy, like, who did you call while you mm -hmm. were in prison? Because you, you get, get one, one phone call. call. Mm -hmm. Right. And he kept saying, like, oh, I called my dad. She's like, no, no, the sheriff called your dad. I remember that. Okay, so, you know, I'm going to take back what I said and say that Billy was the one who made that call from the jail. I mean, I don't know how he... Because, well, okay. The police system back then apparently didn't believe in DNA and fingerprints. So it's not that they didn't believe it. The technology <laughs> wasn't there in 96. Well, I yeah. listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, and let me tell you, DNA has come so far oh from just the 90s. <laughs> they would Damn. save samples, but they didn't know what to do with them because they didn't have the technology to. Now, we can definitely dust everything for fingerprints. Like when Dewey goes and like... Oh, that's the second movie. But when he like starts <laughs> touching everything in the crime scene and you're like, Dewey, what are you doing? Yeah. Get it, Dewey, what are you doing? <laughs> but What's Dewey doing? But back then in 96, when this was made, mm. they didn't have the technology to assess. They could tell you, like if they had blood, they could tell you what blood type it was. But that was it. Damn, that's a good point. Okay, yeah. Then I, I, I take that back then. Well, like, I can't help but wonder if Billy was the one who made the call. He, If he had that little device that changes his yeah, voice or whatever. Yeah, in his prison pocket. Oh, God. <laughs> God. Okay, and I, I'm done with that part. Um, <laughs> well, after that, then it's just uh, the party scene. Oh, no, wait. The, um, the principal gets killed, too. Uh, what was the motive for killing the principal? Yeah, I think that was... That was just bad. Well, no, um, because at the end of the party... They get the phone call that uh, the principal was dead and that they hung his body uh, by the goalpost at, oh. at the school in the mm -hmm. football field. Mm -hmm. So then when kids got news of that, they're like, shit, I want to go see, I want to go see that. Mm -hmm. So they leave the party and who happens to stay at home? The main characters who are like getting hurt and whatnot. Yeah, so, so hanging him on the goalpost to cause a distraction to get to Sydney. Less witnesses. So he was... So there was a reason for killing him. It was just unfortunately to cause a scene. Yeah, yeah, I did. Wow, I did not think. And from seeing that movie since I was seven, I did not think about that. All right. Um, now, who, who killed the principal? I think it was Billy. Because Stu was busy hosting a uh, party for everybody. He literally drew everyone to his house and yeah. then drew everyone back to... Oh my god. To the uh, football field. Out of the school and back. Damn, the things you learn every day. <laughs> yeah. And I've only seen this three times. I know you've seen it a gazillion, but this is such a great movie for conversation because you can always think about what are they thinking, especially since we suspect everybody, so everybody's mind is probably fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> I try not to curse. <laughs> we are sorry. But yeah, this goes to show that not every kill is random compared to like, you know, Friday the 13th mm -hmm. where, you know, Jason's just killing a, a bunch of people who are just staying at the campsite. Yeah. But uh, that's like these people had a plan, had a motive. Premeditated. Yeah. Unfortunately, didn't think everything all the way through. Huh. Yeah, that's true. Which uh, takes us back to the party. And next was Tatum. Tatum was the one killed next. Now, that I think was, again, Billy. I think Billy was doing a lot of the dirty work at that point while Stu was, like, being a distraction while trying to have fun with it. Um, 
Uh, so there's that. When does that. Stu leave the room? Oh, Stu, right. Um, is that his name, Stu? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, he left. That was after Tatum had... After Tatum died. was already... Yeah. Okay. Because Just that... making sure. Yeah, that was the group of kids who like decided to stay after the party was basically over to watch some horror movies and drink. Yeah, them freeloaders. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, so then he completely disappeared at that point. Uh, and then it was just uh, Randy, Sydney, and then Dewey and um, Gail being uh, harassed after that. Mm-hmm. It just becomes like a total chaotic mess that I still can't remember to this day. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, okay, so the cameraman. The cameraman, I believe, was next who was killed. And then um, it was tough because at mm. that point, both... Both, oh no, well, Billy was like playing dead at that point. So maybe, maybe he stayed up there and Stu was killing? Because he was still gone. Like, he was. He, he couldn't have been like still trying to get a beer for like the next hour and a half. Seriously. Um, so yeah, I'm going to say that uh, Billy was the one, again, uh, kill, no, sorry, Stu. Stu was the one that was killing the cameraman and chasing Sydney throughout the house and throughout the front yard and... Why did the cameraman have to die? Uh, you know, sometimes you just need a random person to die, I guess, in these movies. <laughs> he just got in the way. Pretty much, yeah. He he was just he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. One one of those unfortunate souls. Which he always was, according to Gail. Oh my! He God. was never in the right place when he needed to be. Yeah, that was oh, that was really bad. <laughs> Um, so yeah, after the camera guy, then, um, it was just, uh, oh, and then Gail was left for dead when she crashed her van. Stewie was, uh, Stewie, <laughs> Dewey was stabbed. <laughs> Stewie, he was, he was stewed. No, uh, Dewey, Dewey was stabbed in the back. Um, that I believe was also by Stu. I think Stu was the one who stabbed Dewey. Um, and then Led Sydney into the house. Although that is a very quick change because after he's dealing with Sydney, like trying to uh, strangle her in the car, she leaves quick. She can't find him anywhere. And all of a sudden, Randy and Stu just pop up like, no, yeah. he did it. No, he did it. Mm-hmm. And then you're just left confused. Um, so, because it would be weird if it was Billy in the car and then he suddenly disappears and runs like from some other entrance. All the way back to the, you know, third floor window. Yeah, to still play dead and make his dramatic falling the stairs scene. (laughs) Which he committed. Oh yeah, I'm surprised he didn't get an Oscar for it. (laughs) (laughs) Neither did Leo, so it's okay. Oh, that's true. Um, So yeah, Um, so then in the end you find out about both of them. Um, So I, I think, I think uh I think all of their um like who whose job it was to kill who was uh was planned. Yeah. I, I don't think it was like, oh dang, you know, this guy is still alive. Okay, I, I can't go kill him, you do it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that last minute. I I think it was all very premeditated. Very organized. Which yeah. is strange. And then you see that in two different personalities. So mm. both of them are Hella organized, but you have Billy, who is super somber, always serious. And then you got Stu, who's a freaking wild card. Oh, yeah. You, you never know Scoop, what he's going to do. Scooby-Doo guy. 
Like, swing scoop. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know what he is going to do next. Mm. Um, But that's why I think that Stu is, like, the fallout guy. And when they were doing that little stab session with each other, Mm -hmm. and you know how, like... Billy was going too far, just stabbing him yeah. more and more, and Stu was like, all right, all right, enough. It hurts here. <laughs> I'm getting woozy here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think he was, like, kind of trying to slowly kill him off, you know, mm-hmm. lose the partner, be the sole survivor, sort of. To be the last girl. The last girl, absolutely. Um, so I think even though they were both heavily involved, Stu was the, or not Stu, sorry, Billy was the mastermind behind it all. Yeah. I think he was the one uh, true killer Mm -hmm. uh, throughout the film. Mm -hmm. But I mean, hey, you know, I still love how everything went throughout the film. I will watch it again and again. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. One interesting thing about this movie, and one of the reasons that I like it, Mm -hmm. is that they are in a horror movie talking about horror movies. Yes, I like that. It's like a little horror movie-ception going on yeah. or something. They're saying this is what not to do in a horror movie, and then they end up doing it when they're in the moment. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, they make fun of other horror movies and say, oh, I would do this in this horror movie. And then once they're suddenly in that situation, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, crap. You know, they, yeah. they're they not thinking quick enough like they thought they were. That's like they thought they would, yeah. Or thought, yeah. <laughs> Like, uh, Sydney, for example, when she was making fun of how, what was it, a big-breasted girl who's <laughs> running up the stairs <laughs> instead of going out the front door. She, I'll admit, though, she does make an attempt to try to go out the front door, but forgetting that she had locked it in the first place. Granted, she didn't know that the killer was already inside, but still. Mm-hmm. She did try, but then, like, she had no choice because the killer was already coming at her. She had to go up the stairs. But what I think was different in this case was that her going up the stairs was smart because in her bedroom, you know, when you see in the beginning that she was preventing her dad from going yeah. in, she clo- she put the closet door... To like, jam the doorknob for her door. Yes. To she prevent knew her in. environment. And that was her... Mm. That was kind of what helped her during that part. That oh. she knew what she was doing because she knew her environment. Yeah, and it it bought her, like, some sort of time to at least try to contact 911 before Billy tried being a hero sweeping in into her bedroom yeah. window. But, um, yeah, you know, like, there were some loopholes, I guess you could say, in these sort of tropes that were uh, woven into this movie, mm-hmm. which, I, which I liked. You know, they, they tried uh, uh, proving them wrong. Yeah, and I think Randy, he's the video store guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, Randy was such a big role in saying this is how it's going to go. And I think that's that was smart because it made us think, yeah, obviously, because that's how it's always gone. That's true. Yeah. So, so having Randy plant those thoughts in our head every now and then <laughs> was such a smart move mm-hmm. for this movie. And like, if you pay attention to... Um, uh, older horror movies that were previous to Scream, Randy gives you these ideas of how these horror movies were made and uh, the elements to them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, for example, what makes a certain character uh, basically walk towards their death straight ahead? Mm-hmm. 
things like that. And I, I just thought that was, um, it was a, a new perspective. Uh, it gave me like a, a new perspective into horror movies. It made me take more of an interest and, and pay more attention to the details uh, in the making of each film mm -hmm. rather than just trying to think about, oh, what, where is the killer going to come out next? Or where is this ghost yeah. going to come from? Like, it went from being entertainment to being a thought process of the entertainment. It's uh, very stimulating, I honestly can say. And mm -hmm. um, that way it's more enjoyable. Okay, uh, do you remember Randy's horror movie rules? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, I could even name it line for line if you'd like me to. Uh, rule number one, can never have sex. Big no-no. Boom. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Save your popcorn. Um, then rule number two, don't drink or do drugs. And then rule number three, never say I'll be right back because you won't. So. Do you think those are true for most movies? At least before Scream? Definitely for the drinking and drugs and the sex. Definitely. Especially if, you're, if you've watched a lot of um, the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies and Friday the 13th. Um, but for the I'll Be Right Back, in all of the movies that I, I have at least seen, I have not come across anything like that. Uh, any character saying, I'll be right back, and then they don't return. Either they turn up dead or they turn out to be the killer. Uh, yeah, that, that's the only rule that I haven't come across. Maybe that's what made it unique to Scream. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they, maybe they um, made that their own sort of rule, I guess. Yeah. You know, next time we watch it, I'm going to see how many of the characters who died said that. <laughs> oh, man. That'll be great if I am. Or per done. perhaps throughout all four of the movies. Like if his rules follow the rest. There's four movies, right? There, yeah, there, there's four and then there's the, the fifth one that That's is... In the works. In the works, which I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see what that plot is going to be. Yeah. But we will save that for another time. Now, the cool thing about these rules that Randy mentioned in the films mm -hmm. was that, uh, you know that whole saying rules are meant to be broken <laughs> that that happens in this case that happens in this film and i love that um for example uh sydney when well one of the rules was you aren't supposed to have sex otherwise yeah you're you're doomed to die the virgins survive <laughs> yeah virgins survive yeah and sydney does it not only does she have sex she has sex with the guy who happens to be the antagonist, the guy who happens to be the killer. And I like to think in that case, she found a loophole. She did something that like altered the horror movie universe and made herself the sole survivor on her own. Like she, in a way, took control. Yeah. Which I think is really cool. And um, it really changed the view for slasher films, at mm -hmm. least uh, in itself. Because um, originally in um, older slasher films like Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Friday the 13th, you know, they those killers, they didn't have a necessary motive to kill. Mm -hmm. And as fun as it is to, you know, just mindlessly watch someone just you know, slash someone's throat so or whatever. Fun. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. As fun as it is to see someone just, you know, 
do it on a whim for no reason. This in this movie, it goes more in depth. The killers, you know, they um, they 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 have an actual motive. They have something that drives them. It's you know, the it creates to me like a new view on slasher films. It gives more meaning, and I think that this was the right route to take, um, in the whole sense of breaking the rules that once existed in those pre-existing films. And I think that it has made a difference. It, and it's, that's the reason why it's one of my favorites because Scream is honestly an underrated film. It's, to me, it's more than just a slasher comedy. Speaking about motive and speaking about breaking the rules, mm -hmm. do you think that Billy's motive to have, or that Billy had a motive other than, you know, getting on with Sydney. Uh, beyond that, yes. I mean, sure, he wanted to get revenge, uh, I guess, indirectly on her for, for what her mom did uh, to her father and whatever. But um, I guess wanting to kill the mother as a revenge wasn't enough. He wanted Sydney to realize her mother's actions, her her past second life, I guess you could say. And, you know, I guess wanted her to, um, to kind of, I guess, uh, be messed up in the mind, you know? Like, I, I mean, that that's what I think. He just wanted to have fun with it while he was at it. I disagree. What was it? Because <laughs> I remember we were watching this, and I had mentioned that, that the fact that his mom left because Sydney's mom was sleeping with his dad, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, I think Billy's mind is a little more complex. And mm -hmm. I think he wanted to have sex with Sydney so that he can justify killing her. To justify oh. the fact that, yeah, my mom left because of your mom's sex life. So I'm going to prove that all you women are bad. Oh, Because wow. if you have sex with me, then you deserve to die too. I did not give thoughts of that. And that goes into the fact that I listen to a lot of true crime and I have a degree in psychology. So I think about what they think, <laughs> unfortunately. But that no. was, the reason I asked that question too was because this was, Randy was telling all those rules and what, the first rule, right? It's the first rule, don't have sex. Mm-hmm. And I, at the end when Stu, he's like, but you're not a virgin anymore. Oops, I said virgin. <laughs> I was like, that was my first initial thought. I was like, maybe Billy just did that so that he could break those rules. But why would Billy care about those rules? Why would he? Which is what dismissed it from my mind and brought me to the other thought about his mom. Okay. I did, I did not think about that given his mindset. And he, at the same time, he seems to have a different um, type of appreciation mm -hmm. for the horror films. You know, where Randy, he, he just, he was like me, basically. Yeah. You know, just like to watch, you know, like to get into the motives, into the, um, I, into the shoes of all the characters. Mm -hmm. Whereas Billy, he 
was studying. Like he was. Yeah, he was taking notes. Didn't he say that too? Stu did. Watch a, oh, watch a couple movies, take a couple notes. notes. <laughs> yeah, so he, he was taking it rather seriously um, in terms of meeting his goals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you gave me some more thought into that. That, that was really interesting. Now, now I'm going to have a, a different mindset of Billy when I watch this movie again, probably mm-hmm. <laughs> in the next week or so. <laughs> so then another thing that ties into the, uh, I the guess... first rule. Yeah, with Sydney having sex, is when they... Um, when she starts to have sex with Billy in that one scene... And at the same time, Randy and his friends are watching the Halloween movie, and they're watching the uh, the uh, revealing shot of the main character in the movie <laughs> the that boobies. they're watching. The, the boob shot. Yes. <laughs> I was trying to keep it PG. Um, <laughs> at the same time. Now, the thing is here, I think Sydney did another loophole here, because... In, like, most horror movies that we have seen, you know, if you see a naked woman's body, chances are that naked woman is going to die. Mm-hmm. It kind of ties in with the sex thing, you know. If, if you reveal any part of your body in that way, you're most likely going to get slashed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the scene that where, where Sydney was, like, starting to have sex, and she was starting to take her clothes off, it immediately cuts... To the part where Randy and yeah. his friends are watching. So she's the movie. been modest through the movie that we're watching. Yes, mm-hmm. Un- unintentionally, you know, like they, it was, um, it it was just carefully like edited yeah. to you know the point where it is guaranteed that Sydney, uh, either I don't know, she either broke the rules or she slipped past them. Mm-hmm. Like she was able to become a sole survivor. By surpassing these rules, it, it is, um, it's well done. I yeah, I guess it, it brings it to the question of those rules apply to real life as well as they do in movies. Because <laughs> if we put ourselves in Woodsboro and we're in the situation and the rules apply, but then we're watching Woodsboro on a screen, do the mm. rules apply the same way? Yeah, exactly. Like... <laughs> Mind blown. Like <laughs> Now another interesting thing where I just said that if you reveal yourself in any way that you are going to die. Now, Casey was an interesting case. Interesting case. Casey was Casey a case, case, yeah. That was an interesting case for me uh, when I had those rules in mind because... She was the first kill, right? Mm-hmm. And usually the first kill in any of the previous uh, slasher films, they, they tend to be more revealing, wearing a, like a, a bikini top or something like that, revealing mm-hmm. themselves in some sort of way. Now, uh, Casey, um, she was wearing like a long sleeve woolly sweater. Oh, and making popcorn. Long pants. At home, she mm-hmm. was going to chill with her boyfriend. I think right? I have a thing about the popcorn. I keep mentioning it. <laughs> I was so I, sad about it. I, I just think that the, the popcorn. I think the smell of the popcorn, it's it just, just ingrained in our brains yeah. that, you know, we just can't help but think about it once we see it. Um, but uh, back to Casey, not only was she wearing, you know, 
comfortable clothing, basically. So when we mentioned that she supposedly dated Stu, Stu said, yeah, for like two seconds before she dumped yeah. him for Steve. Um, so I can't help but wonder, not only was, to me, she was not like a tease or anything to Stu, but he might have thought it that way when she dumped him. Mm-hmm. And, um... So both, both these boys got girl issues. Yes. They, they both do. They're toxic They're, masculinity. Insecure. Man, we're gonna be insulting men. This is bad. Well, the next, the second movie, don't get me started about race. <laughs> so... <laughs> that is true. That will definitely be a topic to be discussed. Um... So, yeah, not only was Casey not, like, you know, revealing herself or a tease or, or straight up, she didn't even have sex with Stu, clearly, for another thing. And then, on top of that, she must have seen something weird in him to make him leave quick on that side as well. It might not have been just because she found someone better right away. Yeah. You know, we can't see it as, like, oh, you know, Casey was, like, you know, just a I can't say anything bad. But, you know, we can't think that that way about Casey. I'd like to think that Casey initially saw something strange in Stu that caused her to want to leave immediately. And, okay, maybe at the same time, she saw interest in Steve right away. And maybe at the same time, she went to Steve for protection. Because Steve was like a football player, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and he's going to kick the shit out of you? <laughs> he's big and he plays football. Love that part. I love that part It's a good part line. So it's a great line. <laughs> so, yeah. So, in a way, I, I think that even though she didn't survive, the rules did not apply to her. Yes. And I have a theory why. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, think, I think, okay, Wes Craven, genius. Yes. Because this movie challenges all the ones that had... You know, all the precursors, all the slasher movies that had come before it, it challenges it. And, and I think in these first, whatever minutes of that first scene, he's already telling you, this is not going to be like other movies. It's not going to follow the rules that you know. I'm yes. going to kill an innocent girl because mm. I want to. Because this movie is different. He oh, I shouldn't pet up. the table. <laughs> That's okay. You're excited too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. And, you know, I was just going to say, because the interesting thing is that most of the slasher films that we're going to be discussing later on and that we have been talking about mm -hmm. are Wes Craven's films. Yeah. They're the ones that he had been working on, and he's starting to realize, okay, you know, eight movies of, you know, Jason Voorhees just, like, slashing a bunch of naked women repeatedly <laughs> is just not going to cut it. He needs to do something different. And in this case, he did, and he succeeded. And, you know, this was definitely the way to go, and I applaud him for it. May he rest in peace. He's dead? He is dead. Damn. You did not know that. I did. Oh, I just, oh. I just got into this world. I, I don't so, know. I'm so sorry. I was so happy with how oh, great this guy thinks. Oh, no. I'm sorry. And now he's dead? Well, now we will watch the rest of his movies in his memory. Okay, and we won't burn the popcorn. <laughs> oh, one person I forgot to mention in the movie was... Sydney's dad. Yeah. He was only in the first scene and then in the very end. Yeah. Now, I... Paycheck couldn't have been too big. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know that he, of course, could have been um, 
uh, classified as a suspect as well throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. But the, he was mentioned so many times throughout the film, you know, by, by Stu saying, you know, I think it's the father who did it. And mm-hmm. um, Dewey and the sheriff mentioning how, oh, you know, he's been missing from the moment he left for his business trip. Yeah, they couldn't reach him at the hotel. Yeah, they didn't know where he was staying, and they, you know, to be honest, I don't even know how they came to that whole conclusion that he could have been the person killing all of these these teens and, and the principal and, and whoever. Um, but I think because the characters in the movie mentioned the dad so much as a possible suspect that it just became too obvious and told me already that he wasn't, mm-hmm. that it was the complete opposite. Because yeah. Because it was just too easy. They pushed it in your face so much that it made you think they can't be it then. Yeah. Which basically. was, <laughs> which in in Randy's defense, <laughs> we think that all the time too, especially when we watch movies, we find the patterns. Oh, Do you know true. what I mean? Yes. And then, um, now, I remember Randy also mentioned, uh, Billy being a suspect, too. Mm -hmm. And now I made that first mistake the first time that I saw this movie where, you know, he thought that Billy was the killer. And then I thought right away, oh, well, no, he's not. Because you mentioned it already. That that, that's Mm -hmm. taboo, you Uh, know? Yeah. That that's that's one of my personal horror movie films. You know, like if if they mention that someone is a, a suspect, chances are that he is not. He or she is not. Yeah. Um, but clearly, after seeing the end of the movie, that's not the case. Man, do I hate being wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it, it just goes to show. You, you never really know that um, who the suspect might be. So you can't just rely on <laughs> what, what the characters uh, say yeah. about each other. Mm-hmm. You just have to pay attention to each person's uh, behaviors and their motives. All right, so this time, Jenny, I got a question for you. Yeah. You know, with your degree in psychology. Mm-hmm. So, it's a very beautiful piece of paper <laughs> hanging on a wall. <laughs> Is there any way that you can just dive into the mindset of these killers and see if there's anything else that you can provide uh, for us to better understand their mindsets, their mm-hmm psychosis if that's the Mm -hmm. right way to say it yeah i feel like when i watch movies any movies in general i'm always analyzing the characters and their thought process which honestly sometimes ruins movies for me because i think that is the way that i can predict what happens next you know i I do that every time we watch a movie i tell you this is gonna happen and then sometimes it does that's how you do it. Because I think about what are they thinking. I don't just watch for entertainment for some reason, which I hate. <laughs> I have to think about why are they doing this? What is their motive? Mm. And the dynamic between Billy and Stu is so great and it's so common. You have one person who is the dominant one and one person who follows. Mm. And you can kind of tell who is who. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so like you said earlier... We, we think that Billy is the mastermind mm-hmm. behind everything. And we think Stu was along for the ride. This little chaotic entity that could do whatever Billy wanted and not ask questions. Ah, uh, yeah. Right. Okay, I got a question. Yes. 
When we think slasher films, it's always knives, blood, die. Mainly. That, but that's assumed. Yeah, well, assumed. You know, slasher. Even in the word, it assumes that you're slashing something. I feel like I'm talking too loud. Well, no, it's a, it's, I probably am too. <laughs> <laughs> but I have. Uh, I was just reading through this little plot and synopsis thing, and I noticed every character dies by knife. But Sydney never uses a knife to kill off her the characters that she does. She uses an umbrella, a TV, and a gun. So that that was a little more creative. Yeah. yeah. So so my question, I guess, to you, this uh-huh. movie enthusiast. Sometimes I like to find symbols and things, you know, yeah. especially since directors usually like to put like throw in little symbolic. Easter eggs. Yeah, <laughs> Easter eggs in there, I guess, if you will. So so my question for you is, do you think the umbrella, the TV, and the gun, as opposed to a knife, could have been symbolic in any way? Hmm. Think about it, too, because I don't even know the answer to my own question. <laughs> you know, that, that it's tough to try to think of it as anything beyond weapons that she had at that moment oh like in hand which goes back to the door when she jammed the door she used what she had (gasps) yes that lady is smart and she's so pretty (laughs) and i think that's what makes her different from the other um uh i guess so to speak other sole survivors of previous slasher films that she tried finding a way to either um hold the antagonist off or to even fight back mm-hmm. if she couldn't stand back far enough. Yeah. Um, so, again, you know, she used what she got. She actually did what she could to survive. And in my uh, opinion, she didn't have, like a, um, like, a thought for revenge. She just thought, okay, you need to be eliminated because you survival. were a threat to me. Yeah, yeah, survival instead of revenge, which is what motivated... Billy and mm. Stu. Yes. It, she was motivated by survival. Yeah, at that point, Billy and Stu were doomed to fail, whereas Sydney, she thought outside of the box. Mm-hmm. And that's what honestly makes her the most badass soul survivor <laughs> out of all of the horror movie characters that I have witnessed in my life. Another thing that I thought was interesting in this movie was mm. the technology that was available at the time. Like, this, 1996, the emergence of cell phones and phones. They're like big freaking <laughs> bricks in their hands. Like, now I have one that fits in my back pocket. But back then, yeah. you know, that's true. It kind of helped narrow down who the suspect list would be based on who had a phone. But also slowed mm. the investigation because how long did it take to pull phone records? Dewey said we won't get it till the morning. Yeah. It was like a 24-hour process almost. So what do you think about the use of technology in this first movie. Sydney was able to take advantage of the moment that she was able to slip away while the killers weren't looking and use the phone as sort of her weapon uh, to get back. My revenge, yeah. Yes, and I I thought that was just perfectly done. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have had it any other way in this movie. If they didn't use the, you know, phones at all throughout this movie, it, it probably would have been a flop. Yeah, and it's so iconic, too, because the first scene when, uh, I forgot her name, she dies, the popcorn girl. Oh, Casey. When Casey dies, we we see that phone. It's such a vital part of the killing. It's in her hand from beginning to end. Oh, yeah. Seriously. Especially now, since 
probably not a lot of people have cordless phones in their houses anymore. You yeah. know, it's um, it's it's like someone is just invading your home, mm -hmm. pretty much. Mm -hmm. It's 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 a different feeling back then. Like if you can feel that as you're watching the film. Yeah, I want to bring this phone discussion to movies that are more current, mm -hmm. such as like Unfriended. I've seen that one, which. What oh. is it? It's like a whole Zoom caller. It's not a Zoom. I'm thinking Zoom because we're in quarantine, but <laughs> but they were like, you know, video chatting. Yeah. Um, other movies like the new The Ring. Oh, yeah. I, I heard about that Yeah, one. because the original one was a VHS cassette that you just had to make a copy of to pass it on. But like with technology <laughs> moving so fast... Is it like Blu-ray? Yeah, now we just we just freaking airdrop it to the next unsuspecting person, and boom, they're dead. But what I'm thinking, based on this this evolution of technology and the way it was first presented in the first Scream, mm -hmm. how this newest Scream is going to go? Oh. What do you think is in the works for this Scream Five, mm -hmm. and how they will incorporate technology since it's such a big part of all the Scream movies? Oh man, I can't help but wonder because I I can't say that something like Zoom would be able to work well with uh, this series because the whole idea of um, Ghostface, you know, harassing people with calling mm -hmm. is so that they only know the sound of your voice. They don't see your face. Yeah. You know, so they don't know who you are. And, and on top of that, the voice itself is disguised. So, like, if you're going to, you know, try to harass your next victim with a Zoom call, you know, good, <laughs> good luck, you know, hiding your mask and, you exactly. know, your little recording device, you know, disguising your voice or however it is you're going to do it. Um, so, you know, they were, the Scream franchise has been doing really well so far with um, keeping up with uh, the technology of that time. Mm -hmm. And... At this time, it's gonna uh, pose a really big challenge for them, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, if they're gonna continue the route of just like phone calls, you know, without obviously showing your face, then that's probably their best bet. Um, which, uh, is, which might be a flaw, I think, because I never answer phone calls. <laughs> Even if it's someone I know, I will text them and I will say, just text me. You're right. <laughs> You, okay, yeah, you know, again, text, that's becoming more of a thing. And I'm surprised in the fourth uh, Scream movie that they didn't, uh, you know, incorporate texting uh, throughout the film, like by a killer or mm -hmm. whatever, because they showed the iPhones so many times throughout yeah. the film, even like their ringtones and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, I mean maybe this is the chance for them to show text messages or group texts and then yeah they'd be like oh hey what what is this one number you guys like i'm, I'm not familiar with mm -hmm. this person mm -hmm. oh eh, whatever and then they start sending threats to all these people hey this is not funny you know yeah so you know i can see that <laughs> chain, <going>. letters. <laughs> <laughs> chain letters oh my god 2007 um <laughs> brings me ptsd oh my gosh um so yeah no i i think that in that case, that would be a good opportunity um, to at least bring maybe text messages from iPhones, iMessenger, or maybe Facebook Messenger. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's at so least... many ways to communicate on 
just this tiny little square we have in our back pocket. <laughs> that's true. Excuse me. And um, I, and that's probably a good way to uh, to branch out, and uh, they'll probably have more opportunities of like uh, unique mm -hmm. uh, kill scenes, I guess, yeah. for this movie. So I hope know. it stays true to its slasher roots, though. Yes. Absolutely. I hope it doesn't become something different. Yeah, because, I mean, they, in my opinion, they cut it pretty close with Scream 4. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, I am excited for Scream 5 and see what they will bring out for their audience. So, overall, for the first film for our first episode, I think we picked a good one. Absolutely. It was a great movie that challenged all the tropes of what we're going to talk about in the future. Oh, yes. And everything that we're going to see in the future, as well as the older movies that we can compare and contrast to. This this really sets a basis for a lot of our conversation. Absolutely. And, you know, even after the numerous amount of times that I've seen this movie, I have actually learned a lot just from talking about this <laughs> now. Like, things that I haven't even thought of before, which yeah. is really awesome, makes me want to watch the movie again and again, and I'll probably think of more things to talk about somehow in that movie, <laughs> and it'll just make me a very happy person. Yeah, um, it's endless. <laughs> yeah, and what's great is that in this franchise, it has sequels that we can still um, have discussions about, that there are still um, elements in this movie that we can um, talk about, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. So I am very excited. I am so happy we got to talk about this movie first. I can't wait to talk about the next one. Yeah. So this is going to be fun enjoying this ride with all of you. Yeah, especially since it's a sequel and you know what they say about sequels. They suck. <laughs> well, we'll see in our next episode <laughs> if Scream 2 fits the bill. Absolutely. All right. Well... Thanks, Thanks for joining. tuning in. <laughs> Shoot. Thanks for joining us on uh, Cutting Floor Combos. I'm Yasmin. I'm Jenny. And I'll be right back. Cutting Room Combos was recorded at our home studio. All opinions are our own and we do not represent any companies mentioned. This first episode was about Scream, the 1996 film by Wes Craven, and our music is titled Creepy Places at Night by Caffeine Creek Band. Hope you enjoyed! <laughs>